when we're moving in unison to music and dance at the same time, what's happening to our cortisol levels? What's happening to our, our happy neurochemicals? Um, and let's measure that so we can really prove that um, that the collective joy experience, the, the experience of coming together um, is a deeply healing one, is a, a deeply regenerative one um, for our minds and for our bodies. Welcome back to Off the Ground, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Yay! (laughs) Hey guys, Heidi here. Uh, Super excited to intro not one, but two amazing guests today. Dr. Dacker Keltner is a professor of psychology at University of California, Berkeley, where he directs the Berkeley Social Interaction Lab. He is also the founder and faculty director of the Greater Good Science Center and host of his own podcast, The Science of Happiness. Now, Radha Agrawal is a wellness expert, self-help author, and of course, I have to say, she has a twin sister. I have twin girls. (laughs) And if my memory serves, we were actually the same year at Cornell. You're kidding. Oh, fun. No. (laughs) I'm like, because we have a lot of mutual friends. Um, I was a Pi Pi, and they always sort of talk to you about you and reference you. And I'm like, yeah. And so you've actually been on my list for the show for a long time. So I was super excited. (laughs) So Radha is the mastermind behind Daybreaker, Dose, Thanks, and so many others. Radha is a mom, author, speaker, DJ, and inventor. Most recently, she toured alongside, no big deal, Oprah to open her national tour. So excited to dive a little bit deeper. But first, Jamie, what do you have for a weekly catch up? Guys, it's a, it's a biggie. It's a biggie today. This is Jamie. I'm here with the weekly catch up topic. All right. So no one's immune to the communication breakdowns happening right now, right? Not even us. So, you know, since the world still has no IRL communication in many circumstances, like for instance, us on this show, we are all in our own corners of the world and still communicating largely through email and text and all those other ways. It can be rough when you're in the middle of like 15 things in your day and then you respond to your 500th email of the day. And then you're trying to make sure it doesn't sound rough or like, you know, a a little coarse, rough around the edges, because you can't infuse your tone or your facial expression. You can't show somebody that you're not trying to be sharp. You're just trying to be direct or whatever ends up happening. There's so much more kind of written word devoid of tone these days, right? So I guess our question is, do we think it's causing schisms between coworkers and friends? And like, what are some solutions? I mean, should we be doing regular check-ins on Zoom? Should we be doing what my my cardinal sin of life, which is adding emojis to work emails, which I think we all find ourselves doing because you're like trying to put a little bit of levity into your communication with people, which sometimes can come off a little stale. Like, girls, I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts? Because I think we've all been navigating this, right? Megan, it sounds it looks like you're raising Megan's your hand. jumping out of her seat. <laughs> I do, because we just so I'm I'm the editor-in-chief of Women's Day magazine and author of all the jobs. But we just implemented this new thing at work called the walkie-talkie. And so since we're all working remotely, we have meetings where we go outside, you're in my AirPods, and we're talking it out, but we're on the move, and we're getting fresh air, and we're getting Mm. sunshine, and we're mobile, and, and it's really so much better than a Zoom or a Slack. I feel like we're communicating much better. We're in better moods, better mindset for the conversations. And so I highly recommend the walkie-talkie. 
I love that. My husband um, it, it was was a creative director and he would be the king of meetings and he would do the same thing in real life, though. He would take walks with everybody every time there was a meeting. And he said it was just a different vibe, different tone. It got everybody just relaxed and honest. And it feels more side by side than confrontational, mm-hmm. um, even though I can't actually see the person. There's just it, it feels we're just communicating better on the move. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, even I think even with our own group here, it's hard. We're so busy. We're so fast. We're so juggling so many different things. And I really think it takes, like Jamie said, you don't think what you're writing sometimes because you're so fast and we're all so fast, especially our group here that you don't sometimes if, if you're reading it, it sounds curt or abrupt, but it's not what the other person meant um, or it just might sound too direct. So it's either maybe it is a good thing to do a check in saying like, hey, once a week, if you know, whether it could be on the walk or on a talk or whatever, even if it's a phone call, um, just connecting and saying, hey, you know, is anything anybody want to regroup on from the past week? I mean, this is Jamie. My personal piece of advice would just be to like pick up the phone whenever you can just pick up the phone. Like, because I find that when you try to make it a structured meeting, like, oh, it's the Zoom that we have at five, then it's just another task. And it's like, okay, everybody has to get together. It's another meeting on your calendar versus like sometimes, you know, this is also, this also shows- Jamie, this is Heidi real quick. I think someone's dying if they call me. Really? (laughs) See, see, here's the thing. And and it's just different strokes for different folks, but I'm also, and we all four of us are from a little bit of a different era than the millennial, the Gen Zers who like, literally, I I mean, it's so funny. I look at even my little sisters and they're like, if you ask them to call somebody on the phone, they have a literal panic attack. And the girls who worked for me in my last, you know, I was in PR for 20 years, the last like 10 years of my career, I had all these wonderful, sharp, smart, young girls working for me. And if I, and they would say, I don't know what to do. I just, this person, I can't get in touch with them. They're impossible. I said, um, did, did you try calling them on the telephone? And they're like, oh, I never thought of that. So I personally am just of an era where like we call people, especially we are like work wives, the four of us. So I think we're good at just picking up the phone. We're like, you know, we can call each other. We're also good friends. And I think that does mitigate a lot of misunderstanding because sometimes you can read a text. There's a lot of like memes and TikToks about this. Like you can read a text and just be thinking one thing on the other side of that phone as if that person just has venom and hate in their heart. And that person was like, do, 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 going, you know, walking down the street and they just texted it, not even thinking. So there can be a lot of miscommunication. For my worst thing, I'm, it's horrible that I'm admitting I do this, but I run with my phone because I just do. And I jot things down. Sometimes I stop because I get great ideas on a run, all right, all that. But then I sometimes want to, I see a text and my problem is, I feel like I have to answer it right away or an email. And I'm like, why don't I just wait and breathe and enjoy and finish my run? Because when I'm sending that response on my run, I'm aggravated that I'm responding on my run. So it's going to sound more aggravated. (laughs) Christine, when I do yoga now, I turn it on to airplane mode so that I don't, so that you can write anything down, but then you're also not getting, you know, you're having your time. I have to do that. Dacker, Rada, any two cents here for solutions? Yeah, get walking, man. I mean, I think, you know, we, we just published a study showing, you know, if you walk uh, in an intentional way to find wonder or awe or joy, you know, which Radha specializes in, uh, if you're 75 years or older, or really any age, you just do a lot better, right? So it's one of these kind of collective movement effervescent activities that is free, it's good for the environment, and uh, we need more of it. So I think it's a great insight. I love that. 
And in Japan, also, there's uh, there's a practice called Shinrin Yoku, which is Japanese forest bathing. And, you know, you, there's all these studies like Dakar just shared that talk about sort of the healing aspects of nature as well and how that can um, just inspire a more mindful conversation, just more a relaxed, uh, just a relaxed system. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there's a lot of studies around um, just walking and the health benefits of it, for sure. I think it's a perfect time to jump into our topic. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Um, Okay, so I'll dive in. Um, By now, we're probably all have heard something about the negativity bias in our brain. But did you know that we actually have the power and ability to retrain and reprogram our body to crave happy neurochemicals instead of cortisol, the stress hormone? Radha and Docker are four months into collecting data on how dance and other modalities improve joy. They've developed a happiness quiz. So fun. I took it last night and I loved it. Um, It's the first comprehensive brain body quiz that looks at multiple areas of your life and based on your answers, delivers a joy prescription with the happy neurochemicals you need more support with. You can then fill your prescription with daily practices and activities designed to meet those needs, such as breath work, yoga, and forest bathing. So exciting. Sounds good to me. Uh, So Dakar and Radha, please tell us how we can practice joy and be happier. And what is forest bathing? (laughs) Which Radha, you just got into. (laughs) Yeah. So what is a joy practice, right? A, A joy practice is sort of just a new way to just invite your brain and your body to connect with one another. And I think so much that exists out there, we can be cut off at the neck. And so the idea of what Dakar and I are thinking about is how do we actually tickle our happy neurochemicals open? How do we tickle our dopamine, our oxytocin, our serotonin, our endorphins, our four happy neurochemicals open, not just with talk therapy, but actually with movement modalities. And so one of the things that we're really interested in exploring is, is just how powerful the body is to really recondition the mind. And, and so often you look at it through the opposite lens of the brain is everything and the body just follows, but your body actually stores all of your trauma, your woundings, your just all the you know positive memories as well. And if we can just harness the two and begin opening up our joy centers, opening up, you know, tickle our happy neurochemicals okay. open. Tickle is the best word ever. And the more you say it, the more I want to tickle things. I'm like, I'm so on board yeah. for this. Yeah. I mean, Dr. can you share how we tickle them open? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think you can see why, you know, as a scientist, why I was really thrilled to collaborate and honored to collaborate with Radha. I mean, so first of all, the happiness quiz, which you talked about, Christine, Radha has designed something that's grounded in neuroscience, that there are at least four neurochemicals floating through your brain in the body that do different things that speak to different qualities of happiness, like connection and merging with oxytocin, joy and euphoria with dopamine, a sense of calm with the opioid or endorphin system, you know, and then the second thing is like uh, we, in many ways in modern, the modern world, we've lost touch with our bodies, right? We, and Radha is, is a revolutionary in that we used to dance in almost every social circumstance. And Barbara Ehrenreich and others have argued that, you know, patriarchal society, Christianity took dance out of our social lives and it denied us one of the basic languages of connection. Radha is bringing it back to 28 different cities around the world. And then out of this sense of the different qualities of joy, let's give people the wisdom of the body, right? Forest bathing in Korea, South Korea and Japan is everywhere. 
Uh, we know it intuitively, but it's about like going out into nature, your garden, Central Park, uh, look at the clouds, feel the earth. And, and there are studies, hundreds of studies, 100 studies in, in those cultures showing it's good for your cardiovascular system. It's good for cortisol, reduces inflammation. So I uh, think I think Radha's dose is this revolutionary view of of how do we tickle our opportunities for joy. <laughs> oh, it's definitely a collective effort, Decker. So be modest. But. Yeah, totally. And this is Jamie. And I have just some questions about the nature aspect and the stuff that you're talking about with forest bathing. I've long been so intrigued and have done it formally on like a vacation once or twice, like in Sedona, they offered forest bathing. Cool. And I was like, we're, my husband and I are like, we're in. But like, what is the difference between something like forest bathing and just like grounding? And like, how can people like, do you have to go to some exotic forest or Japan or can people, is there a way that, cause I know there's also even grounding mats for people who, for instance, live in New York city apartments and can't get out to the grass that much. Like, how would you recommend infusing that for joy? Because also when I hear forest bathing, I do think I have to be naked with redwoods, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, what's that about? Is that a piece of it? Would it be better if I were naked? Naked in the redwood forest, or like, because she'll be naked. I'm not naked. Get naked. <laughs> you take this one, Rada. <laughs> the Japanese are quite conservative folks, so nakedness is probably not part of the like around <laughs> Shinrin-yoku. But um, but basically, the whole idea is that you want to be under a canopy of trees, a canopy of leaves, and so grounding mats mm. are one piece of it. But really, you want to be immersed, sort of three dimensionally in nature, um, and that creates a um, a beautiful sort of a connection, a mindful connection to nature. Um, Japanese forest bathing also talks about sort of the difference between hiking and forest bathing. So hiking is sort of the strenuous sort of like I'm, I'm going out for a hike and working out to just mindfully and slowly walking in nature, just allowing your body to go where it wants to go. And there's this beautiful um, chemistry in trees called phytoncides, right? And these yeah. phytoncides are these cancer fighting kind of like what they breathe out, what trees breathe mm. out, much like our carbon dioxide are these beautiful phytoncides um, that really sort of allow our, yeah, again, our system to reset and also, again, fight, you know, cancer causing agents. So there's a lot of additional benefits um, to forest bathing um, than, than we than we would have initially thought beyond just mind, a mindful practice. Is it, is it a certain kind of tree that has more of those than others? Like, does it, is it a flowering tree? Does it mean it produces more? Like, what, what am I looking for if I'm, I'm walking out in Westfield, New Jersey, and I want to do this? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I, Jamie's question and your question, Megan, are, are really fundamental. And, and I ask the same, like, do you have to be naked in the forest? And the answer from this new nature science that Rada's promoting with her program is no. First of all, there are 21 different pathways by which nature heals your body from scents to smells to sounds of water to clouds to colors, etc. You can find those anywhere. There's a, uh, you know, a rich literature on gardens. Right. And I live in an urban area, Berkeley, um, but people cherish their gardens. And when you go out in the garden, you smell things, see things, touch things. It has these direct effects on your nervous system. That's good news for mind and body. So, you know, Jamie, your question is fundamental, right? It, it, you don't have to get national parks are sacred. They, they heal us in profound ways, but you can find it. We had a teacher in the in the Bronx who did these awe nature walks with her students to just one patch of grass with a tree and, and found great benefits. So we got to cultivate this in many different ways. 
And Dacker actually studies awe. And so, and he's writing a book on awe and it's like all these really cool <laughs> things. And so awe and nature are so interconnected. Yeah. How do you and, define yeah. awe? Yeah, thank you, Heidi. Awe is when you're, it's when you're around vast mysteries, right? That transcend your understanding of the world. So, you know, it can be the goodness of other people moving collectively at uh, a daybreaker dance experience like I had. Uh, looking at the sky, wondering about space, um, big ideas, right? Uh, whoa, I can't believe it, everything evolves, you know? So many different ways, but it's about vast mysteries that bring out the best in us. I was going to say, when you were talking about the forest bathing, I was going to ask about what about the ocean? And I do my runs along the beach in the summertime. And it, it just, I totally check out there. I check out in Central yeah. Park, but same thing, even just sitting on the blanket, it just relaxes me and, you know, you can think it opens your mind up, even if I'm not like totally meditating or soaking it in, it just makes me feel relaxed instantly. And there's something about it. I mean, I'm sure everyone agrees. You know, I was talking to a surfer, a big wave surf, big wave mm-hmm. surfer yesterday who surfs the big waves in California. And it's the same thing, right? Which is mm-hmm. his description of the ocean is like, man, there are these patterns, big waves. I'm in relationship to the wave. Suddenly I'm part of it, mm-hmm. riding and dropping. All experiences of awe have this quality. Like if I'm dancing with, I was at Radha's performance with Oprah, got really close to Oprah, but we <laughs> dance with 14,000 people. And I'm like, man, I'm part of something I couldn't believe I'm part of. It's, it's being connected to big things, um, which is really important in life. And we're probably missing a lot of that right now because it's very tricky to find. So I think we just want to know like about a, a, a practical joy practice that people can integrate into their life. Like where should people begin? Because people just want to feel joy right now. Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing I would, I would um, suggest is to ask yourself, you know, what brings you joy and really just start with that first audit. And of course, music was, was more than likely to be one of your answers music being such a fundamental part of, of joy. And um, so, you know, we started a joy practice um, at Daybreaker called dose, you know, in collaboration with Dacker and the Greater Good Science Center um, on this happiness quiz, but, but really it's, you know, it's, it's first asking yourself what brings you joy. Um, and then if you can't think of what it is to really um, begin, you know, looking at what are some of the most potent joy practices that exist on the planet, which is what we did. Um, we looked around the world and we, you know, we asked ourselves, okay, you know, does it need to be high intensity interval training? No, it doesn't. Right. It, can it be, you know, can it be gentle movement practice that you can do every single day mm-hmm. that you don't beat up your body doing that doesn't spike cortisol? Um, so we looked at things like tapping practice, like breathwork practices, like Qigong practices, like um, uh, visualization practice. And of course, dance um, is the backbone of Daybreaker. And we have lots and lots of different dance practices on our platform. So um, just some, some ideas um, to start and share with. Um, including we had also forest bathing, of course, um, that we share as well. Dacker, do you have some other uh, thoughts and suggestions on different joy practices people can do? Oh, I, I mean, I love the comprehensive nature of it. I, I think that, um, you know, what I've been getting really interested in, you know, awe comes from the deepest sources of joy, right? So get out in the woods and look for something that, that brings you out. Listen to a piece of music. Music is tens of thousands of years old. It's kind of the fabric of joy in many ways. Find a piece of music. Um, I uh, really encourage people to think about the, the goodness of humanity. 
Um, you know, we do have a negativity bias, but we are more viral when it comes to good qualities of human beings. There's remarkable goodness, courage, overcoming out there. Just sort of set your intention to finding a little bit of that each day and, and good news will, will follow. Love that. I love that you said that good news is viral or good. Yeah, what did know, you, it, can you track sure. back to that? Because I remember like the first thing I thought of was like smiling is contagious, but I'm sure there's oh more to God. it. Oh my God. You know, and we, this is where the negativity bias is a little misleading and, and dose is a disconfirmation of it. There are neurochemicals in your brain that are hundreds of millions of years old that are about good things, right? But Jonah Berger at Penn has done a lot of work on what's viral in society, what music sticks around, what urban legends do we tell other people, what New York Times stories do we share? And they tend to be inspiring content, right? That like, wow, did you hear the speech coming out of Black Lives Matter? This, you know, and, and that has this evocative power. So good stuff's viral and our, you know, our mainstream media, they don't pay attention to that basic principle uh, to our detriment. Totally. And it's funny, we actually recently interviewed someone about um, filtering your news so that you could, instead of watching all the negative stuff on mainstream media, choose your stories and your news, which we thought was super cool. Jamie here. My dog Stella was my baby before I had babies. She got me through my 20s and I saw her through to her golden years and always valued her wellness and making good choices for her as much as I did for myself. For all you pet owners out there, you might be tempted to let your dog eat whatever they want, whenever they want, when they give you those big puppy dog eyes. But when you hear that over half of cats and dogs in the US are overweight or obese and many pet owners don't even realize it, you might think twice. It's always a good time to evaluate the health and wellness of your pet to ensure they are living their best life. If you suspect your dog or cat is overweight, consider switching to a weight management food to help them achieve and maintain a healthy weight. You can find great healthy weight formulas from one of our partners, Purina. Brands like Purina One, ProPlan, and Beneful. You don't have to compromise on great taste to lovingly maintain your pet's weight or their happiness. Visit www.purina.com slash health for more info and wellness resources from the experts at Purina. Can we talk about reprogramming the brain, please? This is mm-hmm. fascinating to me. <laughs> How do I do it? Well, you know, Rod has given you a picture of it, right? So you have, you have a couple of big systems in your body, many different systems. One is cortisol. If I feel like things are threatening or I'm excluded from groups, cortisol starts to get activated. And, and it's the feeling you have when you hear a loud sound in your house at two in the morning and don't know what it is. It's like, uh-oh, I better run away or protect myself. And it's bad for the body, as Robert Sapolsky has brilliantly written about. But, but you can shift out of that. you know. And the first neurophysiological understanding of it is the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is another branch of your nervous system that I study in my lab. And it's activated by, think about this, taking a deep breath. So breath work that Radha talked about, looking at somebody's eyes, right? Laughing. Wow. When I listen to music, vagus nerve is activated. When I hug somebody, when I dance, when I uh, find awe in something, all immediately activate the vagus nerve. So the challenge is just to remind yourself, ooh, cortisol spiking, 
what are these doses I can get of, of joy that are right around you, right? Even just breathing. <laughs> Most Americans don't breathe correctly. We have really oh, shallow Heidi breathing. will tell you that. I yeah. know. Yoga teacher will yeah. tell you that. It's so right, funny. Exactly. I catch myself sometimes, like, even if I'm not nervous, just like doing things around the house or if I'm like quickly doing things, I stop and I'm like, why was I holding my breath for the last year? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, however long that was. I was just trying to, I was thinking I can get more done by not breathing. I don't know what the connection is or why it does it, but I tend to stop breathing a lot. I don't know what that's well, all about. <laughs> it, and I want to hear Radha's thinking about her program because it's so nuanced in attending to this. But when you exhale deeply, and remember, nirv- the etymology of nirvana is to breathe out. The etymology of psyche, the mind, out of Greek, uh, comes from breathing. Breathing's fundamental. Oh, my Ooh. Greek husband is going to be so happy you <laughs> yeah, just said that. And hopefully I got it right. <laughs> but but when, you, when, you, when you exhale deeply, right, it activates the vagus nerve. And then your body is shifting to all this good stuff. So I'm curious how yeah. Radha thinks about breathing because she's built out kind of a pan-cultural set of practices around it. Yeah, so um, we actually just filmed a series of eight breathwork classes here in the studio um, just a couple days ago. But breathwork is such a powerful tool to transcend the current field of where we are as humans on this planet and on this plane. And breathwork can take you to psychedelic spaces, to kind of liminal spaces outside of the human sort of experience um, just with your breath. So you don't need any any outside substances to do that. So breathwork is a just an incredibly powerful tool to not only calm your sort of human body down, but if you do it with the sort of um, this intentional breathing that we share as well on dose, you can actually transcend the body and and take yourself um, somewhere new and and wild and really tickle different parts of your brain open. <laughs> and I have to, you know, and the science is so interesting. Like there's a study that if you bring people in who are clinically anxious and all they do is breathe for half an hour deeply. They leave the, they leave the lab out no longer clinically anxious, right? Think about that, how easy that is, accessible, non-pharmaceutical. So I'm curious how you two found each other and how this all came to be. <laughs> I think I stalked Dacker somehow. Um, no, I, I'm trying to actually remember. Oh, no, my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law. Um, <laughs> Uh, literally, Roseanne, Dr. Roseanne, she's a she's a brilliant um, psychi- psychologist and professor at University of Wisconsin, Wisconsin Madison. She said to me, um, "You have to connect with Dr. Dacher Keltner. He is the preeminent, you know, preeminent expert in the science of happiness. He's his lab is doing the coolest stuff, and 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 I just feel like there's such a connection between dance and happiness, and I'm sure there's going to be some connection there. And when I called Dacher, he you know and and asked him or just said, "Hey, what do you think about?" collaborating on on a on a study together um he just was so excited he said his his lab is really connected to dance and really interested in studying what happens to the collective what happens to humans when we are dancing together there's plenty of studies that show what happened to our brain when we're dancing alone but what happens when we come together what happens when 500 people are in a room listening to a concert you know listening to music when we're moving in unison to music and dance at the same time, what's happening to our cortisol levels? What's happening to our, our happy neurochemicals? Um, and let's measure that. So we can really prove that, um, that 
the collective joy experience, the, the experience of coming together um, is a deeply healing one, um, is a is a, a deeply regenerative one um, for our minds and for our bodies, um, for our stress levels. And, um, and, you know, we were just about to get started when the pandemic happened. So we've just been sort of, you know, playing around with the happiness quiz, doing that together, um, really getting to know each other. And, and, you know, of course, I've been studying his work um, for, for a long time now and what he's doing in this in the, with the science of awe um, is just so, so tremendous. Um, um, and, and so, yeah, so, so, so that's, that's sort of just the genesis of our relate, but we're just about to get into the meat and potatoes of, or the vegan meat and potatoes <laughs> of, of our research. Yeah. And, for, and thanks for asking Megan, you know, for me, um, you know, part of what, you know, I've been teaching the science of happiness for 25 years. We have an online class, hundreds of thousands have gone to it, but you know, you, when you ask people like, why, why aren't we quite as happy as we could be? They'll, they'll say things like, God, I lost the stuff that, you know, like getting out in nature or listening to great music or dancing um, with others or being in, a, you know, museums, painting. Um, we've kind of lost a, picnics, right? We've lost some of that stuff in our harried lives. And when Radha called up and said, man, I got 500,000 people dancing around the world. I'm like, I'm in, you know, because that's a revolution, <laughs> It's a revolution like the mindfulness revolution was. Um, it's the same reason I collaborated with Stacey Bear, who was getting hundreds of thousands of people outdoors into awe, including veterans, right, who are really suffering. I was like, we need these, these time-tested ways to bring joy. And, and Rada is, is a pioneer. And, and then the scientific possibilities of like, how do you study a hundred people dancing. <laughs> I'll wear any kind of electrode you want. I volunteer. I'm so all in. Right. <laughs> right. I look forward to having you. I feel like people are craving that now too. So what, what's your next step to what's going to happen now that things are opening up? Like, is there something that you guys are easing into regarding all of that? Yeah. So, I mean, so, so, I mean, I, 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 you know, we nudge each other all the time. I'm just like, Hey, is it time yet? Is it time yet? And I, and I think, you know, now that Cuomo, the governor of New York just announced um, full capacity starting May 19th, um, we can begin. And we just announced our first event, May 12th, um, so literally seven days from today oh. is our very first Daybreaker IRL event. And we sold Yay. out in 24 hours. Um, so we have hundreds of people coming together on a rooftop in New York um. City to dance at sunrise. And um, and then we just, we're announcing today, actually, just in a, in a few minutes, um, Daybreaker at Central Park. I was uh, just going to say, let's fill Central Park. Yeah. So we're the first, we're, oh we're, we're Central Park's first event in 14 months. Uh, we're the, we're we're the ones that kickstarted. Um, and well, we have to go. With 500 people. Please come. It's May yeah. 19th um, in New York City. And um, yeah, and I'll save I'll save uh, four tickets for, for you, for all of you. Thanks. Where in Central Park? Is it going to be in one of the fields, the lawns? Yeah. So it's a, it's in one of the it's at the highest point of Central Park. So it's oh, a, that's up by that big ball field yes, way up yes. on 103rd. You got it. Yep, exactly. Yes, that's that's where great. It's, yeah, so we're doing we're doing a silent disco because you can't do it. So everyone's gonna be wearing headphones. It's actually lends itself to a nice transitional dance floor. So everyone can find social distancing. I did that at a bar mitzvah. It's pretty wild. Yeah, you hear anything, and you're like, yeah. it's kind of wild when you actually take them off, and everyone's mm-hmm. moving. Kind of and like, it looks kind of hilarious when you see everyone moving when you can't hear music. And they um, can you can put on different songs. 
Yeah, Heidi and I have been doing Soul Cycle that way. And it's so funny because I'll pop out my phone and take, you know, some video to put on like Instagram stories because I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the yes. music. I'm feeling the the mm-hmm. moment and the the shared communal energy that we're all sharing this beat. And then when you look at it with no music because everyone has headphones on, it is really wild. It's actually so interesting though, how this this communal energy and vibe can just be shared through the beats in our headphones. And it's just this private thing. And it's actually very special to realize. If I can just weigh in here as the academic, you know, Emil Durkheim, the great sociologist coined the term collective effervescence uh, in the 19th century. And he really felt that moving together was the foundation of culture and it was the foundation of religion. It's why, you know, when you go to a football game and you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, you're like, this is the most meaningful moment in my life is some guy I don't know scored a touchdown and we're all hugging and kissing um, and, and so on. Even in flows of pedestrians in New York City, they will start to feel like, wow, I'm part of something here. It's collective movement. And, you know, and, and we'll start to understand through collaborating with Radha, like, well, what happens to your brain? What happens to your neurophysiology? Um, and it, it is one of our signature strengths that a lot of modern society gets in the way of, you know, we're a little too solitary right now. uh, And we got to find it with gusto when we come back. So if our listeners want to jumpstart their joy, step one is we got to take your quiz. Where do we go to do that? What is it telling us and what happens next? Yeah. So if you go to collectivejoy.com, um, you can take the happiness quiz. You can sign up to be a member of our dose community. Um, I, you know, I pride myself on it being the cost of one therapy session for the entire year. Um, so what you would pay for one therapy session, you can get for 20, you know, 24, seven, um, 365 days a year with a community to support you. So it's been really important for us to keep it affordable as well for, for everybody. So I got my prescription, which is like two parts dopamine, two parts oxycodone, Where's your brain, Megan? Two parts serotonin, then two parts endorphins. Is that a pretty standard prescription? Is that what we all kind of wind up with? Or is that customized? No. So actually, Dacker, do you want to go ahead? Yeah, you know, one of the most important things about the dose methodology is, is Oxycontin. We're, we're, <laughs> is Oxycontin. Don't take Oxycontin. Uh, no, it's Dying. everybody's different, right? There are some people who are quiet and their joys um, may be more, you know, oxytocin related. There are other people who got to be around 500 people and they're in the dopamine space. And so it, it's tailored to uh, your individual profile. And that's really important, right? Because then you can find wow, I, I really need to be with a lot of people or I need a quiet moment looking at leaves on a tree. Uh, so it's tailored to that. So if I'm two, 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 does that mean I'm even keel? Which is what I, I don't think of myself that way. <laughs> well, so... Or does it mean we're super depressed? No, I, I think what it <laughs> just means is that you're sort of, you need, uh, you know, some support in each area, um, which which is a good thing, which means that you are getting yeah. some, um, you are already getting some, you know, sort of in your everyday life. But what that means across the board is that you just need um, to sort of, you need support in each of the areas. Um, oh, joy jumpstart. Yeah, in, in, in each in each area. Um, twos, yeah, twos typically mean um, you're sort of, yeah, you, you, you can use some support. If you're in the four, that means that you're like humming along and things are, you know, you just need maintenance, but this just means it's a good, it's a good sign. It just means that you have places
places to go, you know, which is in your joy journey, which is awesome. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't, you wouldn't think it with your yay and all the things behind <laughs> I know. You. I'm like, maybe I, maybe I should take it again. <laughs> well, maybe good. it was like yeah, the COVID yeah. and all the stress of all the other things in yeah. life bags. Could be situation when we took the quiz. Yeah, no, that's true. And we ask you to take it every three months to take it to make decisions. But I think twos oh. across the board just means that you're you're really you know like you're doing really well and you're state, but not like you're you know you're um, sort of totally imbalanced. It just means that you're um, you can continue uh, with little support, but you're doing great. <laughs> I always find with these quizzes too. When I was taking mine, I took it on a train, and then you if you read it too much or if you think too much, you start to the answers change and you second guess it. So I was trying to answer them all really quickly. Like right. the last end of it is a speed round. I think the end of the quiz, um, but I was trying to do them all. And it says, don't think too much. Right. But if you tell me not to think too much, I just start overthinking. <laughs> right. right. Well, uh-huh. it's like posture. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, this is Jamie. The last, I was just going to say, like, it sounds to me like what, what I'm taking from all of this is that joy is like a proactive exercise. And I think so many people just sit around and a lot of us, we can end up sitting in victim mode, but that's not necessarily by any fault of our own. Sometimes we don't even realize it. A lot has happened to us over the last year with COVID and everything, but we just say, I just lost my joy. I'm not joyful. And what you're saying is you can go out and seize it. You might just need a prescription to learn how to get it back. Right. That's right. Yeah. And, and I would add, you know, I, you know, the word practice comes up a lot. Right. Or, and, you know, we have, pra- we have re- diet regimes and we're ca- count, we're looking at our food chemistry. We have physical regimes, but we don't, we shy away from the regimes for the mind or practices for the mind. And, and, my God, you know, the mind body connection is Rada spoke of earlier. And that's, that's what we desperately need coming out of COVID. And it doesn't again, have to be, you know, intense practices, yeah. right? Like the whole idea of, of um, a kind of a joy practice, it, it's not supposed to leave you exhausted and red faced and <laughs> micro tearing your, your muscles. You know, it wants to leave you with a feeling of connection and, you know, the virtues of joy that we identified um, as well. So courage and trust and play and awe um, and, and finding flow state and finding and it's called being curiosity. These are all beautiful virtues of joy. Um, and, and, you know, and that's sort of the byproduct of, of practicing mind, body, um, joy practice. But can it sometimes be hot and sweaty? Cause I like <laughs> that too. Yes, totally. Okay. That's your endorphins. Okay. That's your endorphins asking for okay. it. I love that. And that's going to lead us perfectly into our lightning round because we do a little lightning round. And I love when I have two people, cause I want to get both your answers. Okay. And the first question up, don't think say, too much. This, don't think too much. <laughs> now we're turning the tables on you. We're giving you the test. First question up morning or evening workout. And I'm really interested to hear what you two will say. Morning, for sure. Evening. Yes. <laughs> I'd say late afternoon. Yes, that's <laughs> maybe too. everyone just has their own circadian rhythm and their own yeah. clock on that. Uh, number two, what is your favorite workout? I dose myself on our joy practices. So I do Qigong, I do yoga, I do our, you know, our dose method, um, which kind of is a fusion of multiple practices from tapping to breath work to visualization practices to dance. Um, and of course, lots and lots of dancing. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, so uh, it used to be basketball. I played for basketball for 30 years. It was sacred, uh, but my knees are my knees. And so now it's <laughs> yoga and yoga is transcendent. It's, mm. it's, one of the, you know, it's thousands of years old, tested on billions of people. What a practice. 
Heidi's smiling and nodding. No more need to be sad, right? <laughs> and then the last question is coffee, tea, or matcha? Tea, 100%. Coffee. Uh, Decker, <laughs> really? <Okay. laughs> my daughter's okay. mug right there, Serafina. Oh, oh that's amazing. Did she make that? She did. That's beautiful. (laughs) Okay. Well, this yoga theme (laughs) leads us perfectly into our very last thing, which is called karma call. (laughs) So I make Megan say it every week because she's just so awesome at it. Um, But karma, as you probably know, is the Sanskrit word for action. So we ask each and every one of our amazing, inspiring guests, what is one actionable item, something small that would lead to a big change in people's lives? Is it forest bathing? Yeah, for to me, it's get outside. You know, like just just set an intention to get outside, and then you'll find yourself walking, as you guys have talked about, walkie talkie, uh, looking at trees, etc. Get outside. I second that, and I also think um, the first place I would start also is just auditing your own energy. Um, how are you showing up for, in the world? Who are you surrounding yourself with? Um, what is the energy you know that you're um, inviting into your space and and putting out? And I think once you begin doing that type of audit, you begin you begin to see a what you need more of, and b you know um, you know what you're attracting in your life. And I think that's 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 where I would start. Yeah. Energy audit that is absolutely amazing as is getting outside and setting the intention to get outside. Thank you for two beautiful, actionable items for our listeners. Jane, you want to take us out? Sure do. Thank you so much, guys. I feel more joyful already. And I've taken several deep breaths, which just regrounded me. And I encourage everybody (laughs) just to make it that simple, right? Thank you to everybody for tuning in today and for listening along. We hope you feel more joy as a result. And don't forget to subscribe to our show anywhere podcasts can be consumed. And don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off The Gram Podcast. We'll see you next time. Yay! Thank you guys so much.